This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. I like when we have novel insights on the show, things that we've never heard before. And there's certainly a personal anecdote in this particular episode about being in an oil field in Siberia that we certainly haven't heard here before on the show. The focus of this episode, not surprisingly, is AI and its applications in the energy sector. And our guest is Andrei Konchenko. He's a senior product manager at Drone Deploy and previously spent 15 years at Schlumberger. Schlumberger, for those of you who aren't in the energy space, is a 100,000-plus employee firm, a gigantic organization in the energy sector. And now he's working on drones, robotics, and computer vision with Drone Deploy. In this episode, we focus broadly on three things. Number one, what has made artificial intelligence more on the radar, so to speak, for leaders in the energy space? Why is it relevant now? What has made it more relevant now? Why are companies like Drone Deploy able to actually service this space in the first place? Number two, we dive deep into some individual use cases. This part is fun for me because we talk about ground robotics, we talk about flying robotics, and we talk about some applications of computer vision we've definitely not covered on the show before. So if you want to hear about novel applications of physical sensors in the world and processing that kind of data, this is a fun episode. Whether you're in energy or not, this is a fun one. And lastly, we talk a little bit about adoption advice for leaders who are considering this technology in the energy space. So a lot to cover, and the use cases in particular, I thought had a lot of meat on the bones. This episode is brought to you by Drone Deploy. If you're interested in reaching Emerge's global audience, feel free to stay tuned to the end of this episode. But otherwise, we'll fly right into the insights. This is Andre with Drone Deploy here on the AI and Business Podcast. So, Andre, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm glad to be able to dive into energy at a bit of a deeper level. And you guys have kind of a unique angle on the energy space. We have a couple use cases to cover in depth and do some kind of before and after pictures that I think will be brand new for our listeners. I wanted to open things up, though, at kind of a high level around what you're seeing as the trends that are driving AI adoption in the energy space. I know that there's reasons people are deploying technologies like yours and other folks in this world. What do you see as those high-level strategic mandates that have made this technology more prevalent? Uh, so there is there is a huge promise of the digital transformation in the energy and the oil and gas world specifically, right? And in some estimates, there is the huge potential. It's about 150 billion a year of the potential cost reduction from uh, digitizing assets and processes. And that is uh, something that is, in the majority of the cases, actually driving all those trends for new technologies and trends for digitization. But if you dive in a little bit more specific of what are the things that the companies are looking for in terms of that trend, you will find the three distinct topics in here. The first one is going to be the automation of processes. And machine learning and artificial intelligence plays a huge role in the automation of the processes. The second one is replacing humans or making the operations remote. That means basically in our increasingly remote world, creating the technology the way that the people can be as functional as on site by doing their job remotely. And last but not least, which is huge on every energy and the oil and gas company agenda, 
is the environmental concern, which we call ESG, environmental social governance, and specifically the carbon footprint. Yeah. And so you're saying that the ESG sort of mandates, regulations, expectations are part of what's driving emerging tech adoption. In other words, how can these new technologies help us hit those goals in addition to our P&L? That is correct. Yeah. So the really high up on every company's agenda on how do we reduce the carbon footprint? How do we improve the safety? How do we make sure that all the environmental regulations are met? Got it. Okay. And those are going to tie into the use cases we're talking about. And there's two kind of big ones, which luckily we've got a good amount of time to explore. And one of them is sort of making the operational round. So visiting a well site. Some of our audience is full-time in oil and gas. This is what they do. In fact, they may have visited 100 well sites in their career. Some of them have not visited a well site before. But if you could, ex- <laughs> if you could explain to us there, Andre, what is this process of doing our operational rounds for visiting a well site? What is involved? How long does it take? And what are some of the challenges with the current way of sort of how that process operates? Yeah. So you, you said absolutely, right? So first of all, what I wanted to mention when you said some of our listeners have been to the well sites, and I, I actually kind of remembered myself. I've started my career back 15 years ago, jumping over the well sites back in Western Siberia and pumping different chemicals into the wells. And really, and that's that was, was my job. Up, right, like I was going from one well to the other, which is similar to operational rounds. It's basically the walkthroughs, going from one well to the other. And my main idea when I was doing that was, why cannot I see what's going on on this well side ahead of the time? So what they're doing right now is they basically going onto this well side and they're doing the checklist of one, the valve is closed. B, the flange seal is not leaking see the pressure gauge is okay and it is showing and so on and so forth. What I was always thinking to myself, why cannot we create a virtual copy of this location? And later when I started doing all the technologies, I was a big fan of the virtual twin or the virtual copy of the location. And that was, I was always promoting. So if you, if you Google things like, my previous company, Schlumberger Digital or Virtual Twin, you probably see me promoting that with the work that we continue doing with Drone Deploy at the moment. Well, not as many, not that many of our guests have said that they've pumped chemicals into the ground in Siberia, but now I get to finally check that box. It's been nine years of interviews, but at last I get to make that statement. So as you're saying, you got to head out there. Sometimes the conditions are pretty rough and there's all these things you have to do about looking at the operations, looking at the state of the equipment, looking at the performance of the machines and, and the operations themselves, et cetera. And it sounds as though there's clearly kind of a uh, time and dollar cost to pulling that off. What are the parts of that that are most costly today? Is it simply how many humans it takes and how long they're out there? Or are there other factors that makes this such a drag on kind of the business outcomes of, of energy firms? Yeah, if you if you think of like why why is it so costly, right? Like let let let's talk about the numbers, for example. The US alone has about one million, little short from one million of oil and gas wells, active oil and gas wells. That means that you would need to go inspect like if you want to inspect each well like every second day, or if you want to look at it, that will take like a half million of the people inspecting these wells. 
right? And simply from the headcount perspective, that's a huge cost. And that's a huge cost in terms of training that people, these people. This is a huge cost in terms of compensation and it's a huge cost in terms of safety and driving and preparing the equipment for it. So if you think of it with the technology of the virtual twin or the reality capture technology that we do in drone deploy allows people to actually reduce the amount of the outside work that they need to do and basically perform that work from their homes and their offices. Got it. So well I guess this leads us, Andre, into what the new picture of how this operates goes. There's a lot of technology involved in sort of getting humans out of some of the nitty-gritty of that loop. And there's probably multiple elements we could talk about here today. There's sort of the flying robotics component. There's obviously ground robotics, which you guys have gotten more and more into. Then there's processing and making sense of that, because simply having, you know, machines collect data doesn't necessarily actually tell us if if the the state of the wells or the, the state of our equipment is actually good. Can we talk about some of those moving parts about where AI fits in to, to add some value here? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So AI actually fits in every stage of the process. And if you think about the process of creating this virtual copy of the location, first of all, you need to capture the data. And capture that means either you go with your phone or you go with the drones or you go with the ground robots. And to capture the data, you need to kind of like create a piece of the automation. And there is a lot of the automation in here, and automation is basically a synonym to artificial intelligence in this case. Then the next step is processing. When you're talking about the processing the information, you will need to kind of look at those these imagery and stitch the imagery. You will need to create the 3D models out of it. And there is a lot of linear algebra, which is with the computer power is becoming the AI. And creating this virtual copy of this location. And finally, you're getting into the analysis where you want to detect something that you came there for. And those can be things like leaking flange, for example, and the simple ones of like how many feet in terms of the distance I have from well hat to the side of it, right? So those things are being annotated automatically and output somewhere where the action can be taken now. And the action is being taken on the asset management system. So when you actually get into integrate there, you're talking about the multiple data fusion sources and those data fusion sources actually creating the full picture of this virtual asset from going and capturing the data about the virtual asset, creating the analysis and figuring out what the issues are within the assets, and finally integrate that into the asset management systems and the asset performance system where the data can become actionable. The way I imagine this would have to go, you're talking about some of these very nuanced things. So is there a flange that's leaking? Now, if you held a a bat to the side of me and it said, hey, you know, identify a flange, I'd have a tough time. But either way, there's there's flanges out there, there's different kinds of equipment. You'd mentioned that there's kind of the distance of one moving part from another moving part. And there's all these things we need to measure. The way I imagine this has to work, Andre, and I'd love your perspective for the business people out there who are who are trying to imagine this. We've got to consider as a team, as a company, what are the things about this location that we want to know? So we want to look for these kind of leaks. We want to look for the distances of these kind of things. We want to look for this kind of rust on this kind of equipment because it's a very rainy area and it has a lot of opportunity to potentially rust if we're not careful. We want to, and some some human team has to compile 
all of the we want to check in on factors for this physical location. And then we've got to find a way to quantify that with computer vision and, and with the data that we drink in. Talk a little bit about how that process goes, because it sounds like there's some real human strategy in making this technology come to life. So I imagine the way it works, you know, with you guys, you'll you'll sit down probably with the client, and this could be with their technology people. It could also be with their subject matter experts. Who sort of has to be in that room to get all those ideas on the table and know what we want to detect? Because there probably are an unlimited number of them, and you could probably list, you know, 30 things that you guys detect on those sites. But talk a little bit about how we come up with that complete list of, of what it is that we want to track with our digital twin, because it, it feels like there's a business person or kind of subject matter expert strategy part at the beginning here. So really, like, well, what you're doing here, right, like when you're creating the virtual twin or a digital twin, whatever you want to call it, you're not changing the way that people work at the very beginning. You're basically creating a tool for them that will allow them to do their work, but do it remotely and do it more efficiently. Instead of driving, let's say, 10 hours or like two hours or five hours onto the well site, you can basically log in into your computer and get as many people as you wish out there, right? Like talking about the subject matter, it's talking about the actual operators who are operating there, right? Talking about the technicians and the maintenance guys. So it's actually not restricting you on the amount of the people that you want to get in there, right? So you're creating like a virtual room or the virtual copy of this location to the very details. And those details, as we've been mentioning before, the accurate because it's a graphic quality of the data. They are measurable because they are being extracted from the technology, from the stitching algorithms that we are using. And the last but not least, they are being actionable, which is meaning that they are being connected to the asset management and the asset performance systems. Well, all that kind of like this possibility of having these people in the virtual room, right? Like will A, reduce their time in the way that they need to get to the consensus of how these things are operating or like whether the leak is significant or not, right? And it actually will prevent some of the things because they will be able to look at it more frequent and on demand. So instead of driving there, they will just see and have a look as like, okay, that's that's what has been happening out there. And that is what's going on now. And that will... Believe it or not, right? Like it's huge. If it's reducing the non-productive time of the person for just one percent, or it is reducing the off-cycle maintenance of that equipment for just one percent, that is actually resulting in millions of savings for the companies just on not introducing the off-cycle maintenance, for example, or just eliminating the leak before it becomes significant, or even, yeah, just having uh, f fewer people looking at, at this location at this particular time, right? And, yeah, I can talk about the automation of that piece, which is which is even bigger promise than having to look at it fewer times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, the, the automation is really, really valuable and part of what we'll want to unpack here. I know we have one more use case to go, but we probably can talk about automation. It sounds like there's you know, there's somewhat clearly a lot of value for just having the data and just being able to be out there on the site remotely, as opposed to flying people out or driving people out, you know, to these isolated locations, you know, hopefully they're not all 
in the middle of Siberia, but many of them are in the middle of nowhere. And so there's a lot of costs associated with that. Clearly just seeing it is valuable. But yeah, go a little bit into the automation of detecting these things that we want to detect. Having human eyeballs is great, but where do those kind of machine eyeballs and the automation kind of fit in? Yeah, the funny thing about the automation, right? Like when we when we just got the, the digital cameras, we were thinking, oh yeah, now we're automating those imagery. And the next thing, thing came, okay, so how do we can collect it consistently, right? And that's where the drones are coming in, for example, right? Like, so we, we are able to schedule that and collect this data consistently, stitch this data and store that all in one place for the automation purposes. But now the next thing that we are currently working on, and a lot of companies in the oil and gas sector are adapting right now, is being able to work with something called the ground robotics. So the ground robotics brings the promise of the ultimate automation when those rounds or like the walkthroughs, the, whatever you want to call them, will be replaced and taken from a human into the mundane robot operations. And now when it's taken from a human into the mundane robot operations, it's actually freeing up the time of the humans to take care of the more intellectual tasks or the better tasks as the improvement tasks, for example, right? So the robots are able to do it twice a day, for example, instead of doing it once a week and able to collect way more data. So now 1% of the non-productive time reduction that we've been talking about is actually becoming much bigger. And with the humans actually looking at it or getting the alert of it, it's driving the better conclusions out of it. So finally, you're getting a way larger improvement than you've been talking about originally. And that's kind of the promise of the automation that is coming from for the production standpoint. Yep. And so being able to sort of, just one thing to clarify, we really will be moving into our next use case in just a second here. But in terms of the automation, is the navigation around the site part of what is also automated? In other words, we create a route and these ground robotics or drones are able to follow that route, pay attention to what they need to pay attention to? Or is, is some of this definitely still going to involve kind of human remote control in some way, shape or form? Where does the automation fit into kind of the pathing of these vehicles? That are that are piping in this data. That's a great point, Dan. That's 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 actually that's actually both, right? So when you're talking about the virtual copy of this location, what we do is the promise is that you create this copy and then put those drones and robots inside this copy. You basically visually select the points which are called the waypoints, and you select the points to the assets and say, robot, go there create this task, take the image of this gauge, go to the next place, yeah, have, a okay. look at, have a look at the location, find all the valves with the computer vision techniques, right? Locate the valve that is located in the XYZ position of this virtual copy and tell me the status of this valve, whether it's open or it is closed. And that basically confirms the system that I have on my end which is coming from the sensors, saying that my pressure is coming over the roof. And that's okay. If my pressure is up, I'm looking at the gauge right now and the gauge is closed. That kind of like makes sense. So the human is getting now an alert out there. So answering your question, it. it can be both. It's yeah. always a combination of a system. You're automating it to some pace and then you're driving the intelligence out of it, which cannot be taken out of humans at the moment, right? It will be kind of like a, 
AI assisted or the human assisted. Yeah, that there's there's I think anybody listening in that has been here for more than three or four episodes is going to be aware that there's no uh, push button robot does everything situation in business, especially in the complicated physical world. We talk about it constantly in manufacturing, transportation, logistics, heavy industry, uh, where uh, you know that there's there's really going to be a balance there. But this is a great mental model now, sort of imagining this idea of highlighting the places on the virtual map that we want to look at, and then having a robot that can just path itself to those spaces, create the images that we want, and then we get to inspect it when and how we please. This is like a, a really good mental idea of how this operates. And I know we have we have one more use case to cover around inspection, and this has to do with tank inspection. So again, some of the people tuned in know exactly what a tank inspection is. Some people do not. You are out there in Siberia actually probably inspecting these darn things. But talk to us a little bit about what a tank inspection is. And I know that there's some physical danger associated here, some safety risk, if you will. Talk about what the process is and what those risks are kind of today. Yeah. Funny you've mentioned about the safety. So not many people realize, but energy and oil and gas specifically is intrinsically safe industry, right? The companies are investing so much in safety, and that's why improving that becomes harder and harder. But it's actually the ultimate goal to eliminate the safety hazards. And in this case, when you're talking about something that is high up, you will always have the hazard of working at high as long as you work at high or you send people working at high. The way to eliminate that is to create a new technology, which is the, the way that it is done with drones, right? So when you send in the drone out to create the inspection at height, and those tanks are 10 foot, 15 feet tall, you basically eliminating the need of creation, the scaffolding, you eliminating the need of creation of sending people to work and to do that inspections. And you actually, at the end of the day, you eliminating the risk of people falling from the Right. Not even talking yet about the amount of the time that people save on just automating the processes. Got it. And and when they go up there to inspect the tank, I can imagine there's a lot of things that they're doing. You know, we'll talk about what the humans are trying to accomplish, and then we'll talk about how the drones can come in and help to accomplish that same goal. In terms of what the humans are trying to accomplish, I can imagine a lot of things, but again, I don't operate in oil and gas, but maybe they're they're looking at the level of fuel inside the tank. Maybe they're looking at the quality of the tank. You know, is it starting to fall apart? Are there any kind of like pieces that look like they might be creating an opening for rainwater or something like that? I have no idea. But what what are the humans up there primarily inspecting when they're up on the top of a tank? Yeah, so they, they're mostly inspecting the general condition, right, of other any cracks, are there any sips? Are there any leaks? And secondary, they always inspecting for the leaks in terms of the gaseous leaks, right? When the gases are expect escaping. So those kind of things. And really, when humans are going there, that's a risky, especially when you're talking not only talking about the, the work in a high, but talking about all the vapors, all the gases that are on top of the floating roof tank with petroleum in it and really that also quite time consuming as well right so it's not only risky it's also time consuming right imagine building the scaffolding and then sending the person out there on top of it right and then collecting all the data then arranging all the data then making sense out of the data making the analysis and finally connecting it to 
the asset management system. All that has been done manually in the weeks. It's really when you're talking about like inspecting 10 tanks, for example, right, which is the annual inspection or done twice a year, you're talking about like two weeks for 10 tanks. And when you're talking about uh, doing that with the drone and the automated data processing, which is coming with the drone and the specialized software, it's actually becoming like a few hours task. So the amount of the savings here are tremendous. And first of all, the savings from the safety are ultimate savings because you're not sending people there anymore. And the savings from the time reduction for that are super significant. And for a small location or a medium location, let's put it like a 50 tanks battery, that would result in something like hundreds of hours of safe labor working time. Got it. Okay. So you're saying an average, and again, these are good numbers for the people that are not exactly walking around in you know, oil fields on a daily basis, which is probably most of our listeners. You're saying a, a, you know, a reasonable size location might have 50 such tanks. This is somewhat normal. Yeah, so like okay. the, the the typical meat to downstream facility would have like a tank of the fifty, and yeah. So Something if you're like saving okay. two weeks, doing it in a couple hours, that's becoming super significant. Got yeah. it. So yeah, that's you're you're scaling it across all fifty of those things. I would estimate, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Andre, but this will be important for the the listeners. The safety value proposition seems pretty hard to argue with. Assuming we can get the job done without humans, not sending humans up there. That seems pretty straightforward. Being able to, you know, truly investigate in kind of that deep manner and really get a sense of the the maintenance status of these tanks is obviously really critical as well. Is the game plan here to sort of train the drones on what kind of images might indicate rust, might indicate cracks, might indicate some missing part or missing paint or whatever the case may be? Is is there is there sort of a process on what to look for for the machine. Certainly piping all the data down to a human being to investigate without having to climb up on a ladder is a great point. Where does the computer vision and sort of AI intersect for this particular workflow? Yeah, so basically there are, once again, so it's it's pretty straightforward. You're following the steps, you collect the data, you send in the data into the system, you analyze the data, and then you action on the data. So the, the piece where this, the actual detection value is coming from is the, in this analysis. Right, so the way that it is done is you, after the drone has collected all the data, because it's really hard to implement that on a drone at the moment, right? All those teeny tiny models to detect the walls or detect the amount of the rust, it is being sent into this uh, data analysis system. And inside the data analysis system, you're actually getting this different models, which in the majority of the cases are very specific. So we do have some of them generic ones like detecting the valves or detecting the gauges, right? Or detecting the percentage of the rust on the surface. But a lot of them are going to be very specific, right? Like, for example, I need to detect a flange which is going to, a leaking flange, a dripping flange. And that those are going to be very specific models that are going to be inferred on the imagery that is being collected by the drones and will be associated with the asset tag that is going to be collected by the drone imagery as well. And those asset tag gonna be automatically associated within the asset management system, such as 
for the majority of the oil and gas companies, that's going to be IBM, Maximo, or the SAP. And those things are now that's actually kind of kind of closing the loop, going all the way from the inspector who's doing the data collection into the hands of the maintenance folks who are getting the alert now that the seal on that flange needs replacement and they can do the prioritization on there and they can do the analysis of the budget, how much and when are they going to spend on repairing that specific SIP on that flange. So I, yeah, I got into the weeds here. No, right? no, no, this is good. Getting, no, this is no, this is not the weeds. And... This is actually this is actually not the weeds in a bad way. This is the weeds in a good way. So if I'm hearing you correctly, and we're right about on time, but I, we're able to now kind of nutshell what you've put together. It sounds like what we're looking for is we're able to train these machines on again what kind of flaws or notifications need to be sent to our team. So I can almost imagine a bit of a dashboard where we've got all the images collected for tank one, all the images collected for tank two, all the images collected for tank three, and maybe next to each of those tanks is like a a red number. And maybe that number is three, or maybe the number is zero, maybe the number is five. And a maintenance person can simply click on what are those kind of pre-identified issue areas that might be priorities before they just go looking through every single picture. So we might be able to separate the needles from the haystack. And like you said, give those people the right notifications to spend their time well. Is, is this is this the right way of imagining this, Andre? Am I picking up the right sort of use case here? That is exactly correct, Dan, right? And that that is basically the way that they operate. Like inside the IBM Maximum, for example, they have a dashboard with all the issues and they have the list of the things that they want to repair. The problem here is they were never able to go in there and see how that actually looks like for their estimation purposes. So really what the reality capture technology and all those multiple pieces of the machine learning that I was kind of trying to allude to at the the process of the data collection allowing you to do is it's allowing you to create this virtual tweet. So imagine it like within this dashboard, right? And the imagery collected to it, you have a link that is basically by clicking it, it sends you to the 3D virtual copy of that location and showing you exactly where this flange is and showing you exactly the image that the drone has collected on how big the seep is, right? And really that's what I was kind of trying to paint the picture, right? Like previously people been doing rounds and going with the checkbox, leaking, not leaking, sending that manually to the system. Then they kind of took their mobile phones and been collecting the data with the mobile phones. And now the problem is those images are still not organized, right? Like you have to manually yep, collect. Of course, yeah. Now then they've started sending the drones out there and the drones been collecting those images and automatically now stitching it, now automatically detecting the issues on the imagery and associating them with the assets, right? And when the next phase is coming out, which is the automation of the drones and robotics itself, you basically send in the ground robot and the ground robot, they doing that on a daily basis or the bi-daily basis and doing the same steps once again, but now doing it in a completely automated fashion, which is establishing the dream of the minimalist operations in the oil and gas. Yeah, yeah. So this is cool. We got to kind of paint the paradigm. You know, what what was the old process back in the old days? How is that slightly modernized with sort of advent of mobile technology? Where does computer vision fit into this mix? Where does robotics fit into this mix? I hope that for our listeners right now, 
you got a lot of light bulbs going off in terms of what that gradual transition might look like in any business you're in. What are the phase-by-phase changes where technologies build on each other and we get closer to automation? Andre, we got a lot in in this episode. We went a little bit over time, but it was well worth it. I appreciate you being able to share your insights and hop in on the show with us today. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate everyone's time. Thank you very much. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to you, our listener, for tuning in all the way through to the end of this episode. And a big thank you to Andre for being able to join us in this episode and share some of his insights. I hope you all got a chuckle out of the Siberian oil field anecdote. Certainly hope that we have other fun and interesting ones like that as the year goes on. Part of the fun for me being able to dive into industries we haven't covered is number one, connecting new dots for new use cases, being able to open up the possibility space for our listeners. And number two, hearing things that are just interesting, people's stories about how and where they're applying this technology and what experiences brought them to where they are in their career today. So I hope that that was fun for you. As I mentioned earlier, this episode was brought to you by Drone Deploy. If you're interested in reaching Emerge's global executive audience, whether through sponsored podcasts, articles, co-branded research, demand generation, or more, you can learn more about Emerge Media. That is the work that we do with AI vendors across the globe that are looking to reach an executive audience. Emerge Media can be found at emerj.com slash ad1. That's emerj.com slash ad, like advertise, and then the number one, emerj.com slash ad1. That's all for this episode. Sincerely appreciate you being able to join us on this one. I look forward to catching you on the next episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.